So what's the difference between something old and something new? Well, if you're looking at this video, <laughs> that's pretty new. <laughs> Age comes to mind immediately. And I have a theory about old age. When I was 15, someone who was 30 was old. When I became 30, someone that was 45 was old. I eclipsed 45 years ago, and I kept thinking at that point, I kept thinking someone that was 60 was old. Well, plus 15. Maybe that's the, I don't know, definition of age, old age. But it seems to change quite often, doesn't it? Age. Something else about difference between old and new. Quality. We'll have a saying that something like, just, we don't make them like they used to. It's not as good. It doesn't last as long. And remember when appliances would last 40 or 50 years? Well, appliances now last maybe five or 10. <laughs> They're not as permanent as they once were. And they aren't made the way they were. And so possibly old versus new in quality. And then maybe something about function. And you think about the the truck, I had a 58 Apache. That's a pickup truck, half-ton Chevy. A metal dash. <laughs> I don't think it had a seat belt. I don't know how we survived it, honestly. No airbags, no government regulation at all. <laughs> and it's like, how did we possibly live without all of that? Yeah. And I think about my new truck. And I think about all the gizmos on my new truck. My new truck can to actually tell me how many pounds of air is in each tire at any given moment? And sometimes it'll tell me, and I freak out, and it's, it's actually going down. I'm just like, I've got a nail in there. Yeah? And so the diff difference between old and new as far as function may come to mind. What I want us to look at today is this, the idea of the difference between the old and new testament. What's the difference? Is there a difference? Sadly, many today don't know that there's a difference. <laughs> they'll, they'll use the Old Testament to pretty much justify anything that they're involved in with any type of worship that they may be involved in. And they'll say, well, here it is in the Old Testament. Here it is in the Bible. And we say, well, that's old. What, what's the difference between old and new? And it's like that. It's this age is different. There's something that happened a millennial ago, and now something that's happened a couple of thousand years ago. It's newer, but it's really not that new, is it? And think about the quality. The Old Testament, it wasn't evil, but it had a particular purpose, and it was fulfilled. The Scripture tells us this, the Old Testament was fulfilled. And, of course, it's function. The Old Testament had a particular function, and that function was to sharpen our awareness of sin, identify it, first of all, identify what pleases God, what displeases him, and then sharpen our awareness of sin in our own life, in the life of our uh, uh, history, the people that lived before us. And then it showed us that, that we have a need for a savior. We can't do it by ourselves. You know, the old American uh, motto used to be, we could pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. <laughs> well, now we can't even go outside. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yep. And it's like, that's how far we've come. 
Yep, it's no longer our motto anymore, is it? And it's not true. We can't do it. And we look in the Old Testament, we say we need something to fix this problem. We have a sin problem, and we need something or someone to fix the problem. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting on the, 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 the idea of this new covenant, this new testament. And is there any evidence, is there any information in the scripture that talks about this difference between the old and new? And I believe the one book that we have in our scripture, the one book in the New Testament that gives us the best information about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, is the book of Hebrews. One author called it the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. I thought that was clever. The Holy of Holies? Yeah, if you know your history, you know, you go back and you say, what was in the Holy of Holies? Well, that was God, the presence of God. And and then we get into the New Testament. We say, where is he? Where is God? He's no longer located in some particular place like the Holy of Holies in the back third of the tabernacle or temple. He's everywhere. In fact, the scripture says he's here. He's located in us. <laughs> and then we start looking at this idea of of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how much better the New Covenant is. We are so blessed to live on this side of the cross. We are so blessed. I, I, I can't imagine having to round up uh, livestock, a lamb or an ox, and, and then proceed to take it to a temple area and then have it butchered, killed, sacrificed for my sin. Can you imagine having to do that? How often would you have to do that? Well, how often do you sin? <laughs> Is it weekly? Is it daily? Is it monthly? Good grief. How many sacrifices were there? And now Jesus says, I've come and made one sacrifice for all. And we learn this and we get this information from the book of Hebrews. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Here we have a picture. We have a picture of the Christ. This picture is very well developed in the first few verses of chapter 1. And we, got, we get to see that even though the Old Testament had its particular purpose, even though it was given by God and it was brought through angels and given to Moses and the people were required to follow it. There was a lot of positives with the old law, but Hebrew writer says the new law, the law of Christ, is so far superior. And he's going to tell us why in these first few verses and give us a picture of the Christ. Now consider, as you read or as I read these verses, think about how you would draw this image. How would you put this in an artistic flair? How would you get this information in a picture form. Let me read the first few verses of Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in prophets, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, 
having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And again, I'll be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And these, this particular passage, these few verses, give us an image, a picture, a portrait, if you will, of God's Son, our Savior. And let's take a look at this picture. Let's open it up and examine each one of these facets. The text begins how God used to talk to people. And we see that in the Old Testament. We see that he spoke to uh, people directly, uh, you know, like the man Job. Uh, he spoke to people like Abraham. He came in, in a physical form to Abraham and actually spoke to him as a man would speak, speak to another man. I believe that's the incarnate or the pre-incarnate Christ, but you can do your own study on that. And and he spoke in a variety of, of ways of visions with prophets, and he came to them and and spoke to them in, in nighttime visions, or uh, think about Zechariah and all of those visions and dreams. Uh, remember Joseph and his dreams, and if he kept his mouth shut, he probably wouldn't have been sold into slavery. But we have a variety pack of how God used to speak to people. But in these last days, in the days that we now live in, he speaks to us in a completely different way. God has a new spokesman. Christ. And as he came to this earth as man, he said, I'm going to declare an entire new system. I'm going to be, I'm going to bring grace and truth to you. It's going to be different than the law of Moses. It's going to be completely different. He would say, he would make this claim. I and the father are one. And he says, what I'm speaking to you is directly from the father. I love the passage in Colossians 1, verse 15. He says, in Christ, in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. Yeah, that's actually Colossians 2, verse 9. But it's fascinating to think that God dwelled in this person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am the spokesman for God. Now I'm speaking to you in a completely different way. And I believe even though the Old Testament does have glimpses of Christ, and we see that in the very earliest book, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he's there in prophecy. He's, he's there as a type and, and anti-type like the lamb, the Passover lamb. Uh, he is, he's found, I believe, in that mysterious messenger, the angel of the Lord, as I mentioned, about coming to Abraham and speaking to him directly. Even though, all he's, even though he's there present, now he has come in bodily form. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so this is a completely different way for God to communicate. He has a different spokesman, Christ. The Hebrew writer goes on to say, this individual, this picture, this portrait of Christ is also like this. He is a he has appointed, uh, he in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. This particular person, appointed heir. <clears throat> you think about the person that is going to inherit all of your personal belongings. Who is that person? 
Are they qualified to inherit your personal belongings? What qualifies them? Well, we know if they're blood related, if it's your dad and you're the only son, guess what? Dad's not taking it with him. You get it all, all of that stuff, all those books, all those tools, that Jeep, that motorcycle, <laughs> you get it all. Yep. Jesus was appointed heir and he's appointed heir of all things. Wow. This is fascinating to think about Jesus being the conqueror, being the son, ultimately this triumph. And at, in the time of judgment, when he's pictured in the book of Revelation as riding on a white horse and he's bringing judgment with the sword of his mouth and he's going to smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron and tread them like a wine press. <laughs> this, this individual will conquer, and it's because he's the heir of all things. He's the heir according to the kingdom, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Psalm 2, God says of him or to him, he says, ask of me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. You'll break them with a rod of iron. You'll dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Yep. Part of the picture of Christ is one of the conquering hero. He's going to ride in and he is going to take them out. All of them, all the enemies of God, all of them. And he wins. That's the beauty of this system. That's what makes it so much better than the old system. If you're in Christ, you win. <laughs> what? Don't, don't you want to be the winner? Don't you want to be on the winning team? And the, another beautiful part of this is you get to choose which team you're on. You're not going to slip and accidentally wind up in hell. You're not going to say, well, how did I get here? It's a choice. And it's the same with heaven. You're not going to fall down one day and then wake up in heaven accidentally. No, it's a choice. You get to choose whose side you're on. And Christ has already won. He's already conquered. He's the heir of all things. That's what the Hebrew writer tells us. He, and if that's not enough to get you excited, if that's not enough to get you in, what does he say next? Not only is he the appointed heir, but all things through him also he made the world. He what? <laughs> He's the creator. And he goes on to say later, he says, I'm the sustainer. The reason that you are here, the reason that you exist, the reason that you have, have, are able to exist is because Christ has created you and is sustaining you. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a man by the name of Louis Giglio, but we were watching one of his videos the other day, and his his finishing, you know, they call it a right hook. You know, at the end of a fight, he's like, "What's your what's your right hook? What's what's your biggest, you know, what's your big ending?" Well, the big ending was laminin. Laminin. Yeah, look it up. Google laminin. L-A-M-I-N-I-N, -I, -I, I think that's how you spell it. And it's like, Google that, and it's the shape of a cross. 
What is laminin? Well, it's the very thing in your, in your body, the cell structures of your body that holds you together. Christ sustains you. He created you, and he sustains you. Huh. That's fascinating. This picture just gets better and better. Not only is there a new spokesman, not only is there a conqueror, not only is there a winner, there's also a creator and sustainer. The Hebrew writer continues. He says, I'm going to lay this on thick. I'm going to lay it on heavy. And there's really no way that you can get away from this. You can't escape this. Look what he says next. He says, not only did he create everything in the world, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. What's he talking about here? This glory, this radiance, this brightness, this reflection. He's the deity class. He's God class. He's in the same class as God the Father. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's all one. There are cults, there are denominations that say, no, Jesus was created. No, they haven't read Hebrews. <laughs> they haven't read this verse. They have to rewrite this verse, make their doctrine work. It's like, no, this one says he is the exact representation of his nature. This being the exact representation of his nature, it's kind of like this video. Do you know what I look like? Well, now you do. This video is an exact representation of my nature. <laughs> like it or not, this is what I look like. That's what it is. And God says, that's my son. He's the exact representation of my nature. It's like you're taking a video of him. He's, he's, he's God in the flesh. He's walking around on earth. There he is. And Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This word, very image, is the word character. And the language suggests that Jesus is distinct from the Father, yet he possesses the identical essence of the Father. Yeah, we get to the Holy of Holies in the New Testament. And here we're confronted with the portrait of Christ. Here we're confronted with the very image, the very likeness, the God class. Christ is deity. We could stop there and you should be on your knees praising the Lord and, and coming to him in obedient faith. But the Hebrew writer, maybe it's a sermon, the Hebrew preacher, he says, I'm not done yet. It gets better. <laughs> Can it get better? He is the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand on the majesty of high. Not only is he deity, he's priest. He is making purification of sins. What was the, the job of the priest, the high priest? Well, what was his duty? Well, he brought you into the presence of God. He, he would bring you and intercede for you in the Holy of Holies, in the actual place where the Ark of the Covenant sat, and he would bring this sacrifice to God on your behalf. What does Jesus do for us again? You know, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is mentioned as the high priest some 17 times, 17 times in 13 chapters. What do you suppose the point is? What do you suppose the, the Hebrew preacher, Hebrew writer, is trying to get the point across? He says, he's going to intercede for you. He is going to make purification for sins and then do the unthinkable. 
He sat down. Did the high priest in the Old Testament ever go into the, new, in the Holy of Holies and sit down? No, of course not. He was never done. <laughs> he would have to come back next year, and he has to come back the year after that, and the year after that, and then, yep, he would die, and his son would take his place, and so on and so on. For 1,500 years, yep, Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies. He goes into the very presence of God. He becomes our mediator. He, he does this for us, provides purification of sins, and then sits down at the right hand of God. He's done. He's done everything he can do. And if you don't accept that, if you're waiting for something else, if you're looking for something else, <laughs> there's nothing else coming. That's it. That's all he's going to do. And you've got to believe it and come to him in obedient faith. Yep. Once for all. A great friend of mine has passed away uh, several years ago, taught this book, the book of Hebrews, and he emphasized one of the key words in the book of Hebrews, hapax. And you're not, you don't speak Greek, and I know, and what it is translated is once for all. This purification of sins, it occurred one time, and it's for all. It goes back and it goes forward. It's present. It's everlasting. Once for all. He made purification of sins and sat down. The work of offering sacrifices is done. This is good news. We don't have to continually bring sacrifices. Jesus says, I've done it. I've taken care of it. I have taken your sin away from you. We read this morning in Psalm 103 in our daily reading, it, it said something like this. It said, as far as the east is from the west, how far is that exactly? I believe it's a mathematical term. I don't know. I'd have to ask my wife. But it's infinity. <laughs> All right? Do you get the picture? As far as the east is from the west, that's how far our sins have been removed from us. Jesus says, I provided purification of sins, and I sat down. Wow. The only time we see him standing at the right hand of God is there when Stephen is stoned to death. Oh, that got his attention. Yeah. He stood out of respect and love and admiration. He looked down at that martyr and he said, Oh, yeah, you better come to me in obedient faith because if you don't, remember, I'm the conqueror. Yeah, remember that. Don't forget that. And if that wasn't enough, this idea of being majesty. In my translation, the word majesty is capitalized. What does that tell you? It's a proper noun, probably. And, you know, if the translators thought that was an important word, you might want to pay attention to that one. And it's like, what is, what's he talking about? Majesty? Well, he's king. At Christmas time, we sing king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. Yep. After making purification, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why would he do that? He began his reign as king. There are denominations out there that say he's going to have to come back and then reign, eventually set up a kingdom and reign for a thousand years on earth. Well, they haven't read Hebrews. 
they haven't read the scripture. They've made this all up. But it's it's fascinating to think that here in Hebrews chapter one, he's reigning as king. When was Hebrews written again? Well, that's a very first century. Here's Jesus. He's our king. And he's reigning now. One of the parables, the Lord spoke of a, a nobleman. He went on a trip into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. You see, kingdom, Christ's kingdom was received when he entered heaven. When he sat down at the right hand of God, he became king. And his coronation as king is, has happened already. He's already king. We're part of the kingdom. We're subjects of the kingdom. We're part of it. And he says, I will return one day. Judgment. This idea of sitting down, the majesty on high, as king, this lawgiver, there's something about our position to this king. We're subjects. We had better listen and we better obey. The portrait, the picture, is nearly complete. He says, the angels, oh, they're pretty powerful. They're pretty cool. Look what he says. Having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they, which one of the angels did he ever say? Thou art my son, today I've begotten thee. And again, I'll be my father and to him he shall be a son to me. Let all the angels of God worship him. Ah, now that's where we have something to do. This portrait involves us. The prevailing theme in Hebrews 1 is the prominence over angels. No angel is ever honored as the son. Angels worship him. Angels are servants of the king. Are we? You see, we have an obligation. We have a privilege. We have an honor to worship him. What a wonderful foundation of this, the grand theme of the entire book of Hebrews. And Hebrews 1, this idea of, of entering the holy of holies, going into the very presence of God, and the only access we have is through our high priest, Jesus Christ. This is a great image. See, the Old Testament is redemption in preparation. It had a particular purpose. It prepared the way to get us to Christ. And the New Testament, the difference between that and the Old Testament is this is redemption in presentation. Here is how we get back to God. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Yep. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, we get to see the image, the portrait, the, the picture of Christ. And because of that, Jesus says, I want you with me. Because if you go your own way, failure. But with me, victory. It's your choice. Choose wisely.